How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jay. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 68. 67. 67. Getting there. Shit. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. Um, That's all right. I don't even know what episode it is. I know. You know? it's We're going crazy. Like, it's this. It's just this time. It's so good to see another person again. I know. It's been a whole I, week for me to see people. I know. I haven't seen you in a week, and it's it's weird. And even before then, was like even weirder. Yeah, I mean, this weeks. we're kind of starting to find a bit of commonality, a bit of chill right yeah. now. So. Well, today, as this episode goes live, um, WA officially res- uh, lifts some restrictions, which is cool. Yeah. We're seeing yeah. an end in sight, hopefully. Well, I mean, hopefully it's it's a step in the right direction, but we take it slow. Exactly. I think that's the, the real key, but... I won't start hugging and kissing you yet, Zeke. No, no. But. Save that for maybe uh, at the end of the next 10 episodes, maybe by episode 76. Right, be, okay. Um, I see. And there is a reason I brought up the next 10 episodes. Yes, because, which we're teasing. Well, we're yeah, teasing. and I mean, we can kind of just jump straight into at least the the premise. The concept. Not, yeah. Um, so cool. we talked about this concept oh, early this year, maybe? Yeah, early this probably year. when we, after your um, trip to America, when you came back. So yeah. February-ish? Yeah, exactly. And obviously, given the halt of screenings around the world, mm. there's not. Uh, I wanted to do a, a countdown through the decades because we're coming up on well, nearly a hundred years of uh, of film in terms of sound film. So sound right, cinema. Yeah. Um, obviously, cinema started in the, the early. Uh, you know, there's been over a hundred years of cinema, but mm. there was you know the first. Uh, audio visual experience didn't happen until about 19, I think it's 1926 or 27. So uh, we're coming up on that. So I thought, oh, what would be a cool idea if we had a, a lull, which often every year, no matter what, we do have a <laughs> lull period um, between normally July, like that July, October period is pretty cool. Yeah, like just after the American blockbuster summer period. Yeah. Sort of thing, which oh. is funny because apparently the only film I know is coming out still is Tenet. They haven't delayed Tenet yet, which I think is a July release. It's got a good chance. I mean, yeah. like, if you think about it, um, maybe Over not here, in America. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, was, <laughs> exactly. Uh, might be. But, I mean, at the end of the day, as long as it gets out, mm. as if they're looking for it to be an Oscar-based film, then... As long as they get it out before the... Uh, they have a pretty easy run, I, I, right? I was going to say, how many films are going to get nominated for Oscars this yeah, year? It'll be really interesting. There's Trolls World Tour. There's The Invisible Man. <laughs> Those are your Oscar picks for it's 2020. Crazy, <laughs> crazy man. Um, that would be a really interesting conversation for yeah. later in the year. But, yeah, so I wanted to propose this countdown through uh, the decades in which mm. you do 10 consecutive episodes in which you we have our film of the week based off a poll from two films from said decade, and then we go backwards. Right. So um, this week we didn't do a poll. No, but this was the only we, week it didn't we, make a lot of sense. Yeah, to do there one. was not a lot of option for yeah, a 2020 so film. With, yeah, well, exactly, with exception. And the thing is, obviously, the longer the show goes on, the more depth we'll have with the 20s. 20s. The 2020s, yeah. Um, so if we did this on a yearly basis or a bi-yearly basis, then, um, yeah, it would... It, we would obviously be able to watch as the 2020s evolve in cinema. Yeah. So well, every be... decade has 10 years of film to discuss and an established sort of 
a type of film. You usually you can tell what a '90s film is, but mm-hmm. we've had what three or four months of 2020 films. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, it'll be a cool thing to revisit uh, as the 2020s go on. But so that made obviously the film that we're going to talk about later on the show the the good starting point for mm. the the countdown. So obviously we we are doing a 2020 film, which was really cool. And of course, then we voted. Um, we did our first poll, uh, which we can tease, but I think we won't reveal. We'll until talk the a end bit about the... at the very end of the show. Exactly, I think. but obviously the the concept is it's viewer decided. We we Jake offers up ten films from the last hundred years. I offer up <laughs> ten films from the last hundred years. They duke it out in a weekly poll, and then each week we'll have a our film of the week, the victor. If you will. and uh, obviously I know your ten, and you know my ten, and there's some in there that are very much looking forward to mm. whichever way it goes. It's going to be interesting. I will say without talking about this next week's episode of the poll we just had the other day on our mm. Instagram account, so we'll talk a bit about how to do that at the end of the show. Mm-hmm. I was surprised by the winner in this week's yeah. poll, but uh, we'll get that's, to that. That's what I like about the poll, though. Yeah. You know, it keeps it keeps it interesting, keeps it fresh. So, uh, yeah, like we said, we'll talk about that way later in the show, but it's a good way to start this show because, mm. yeah, maybe I'll get a jingle going, a countdown through the decades <laughs> jingle. I want you to do a unique jingle for every decade. That's what I want from you. Ooh, ooh that could be a bit We'll fun. bring the ukulele back since the third episode. <laughs> <laughs> But how have you been in this last week? Uh, I've been good. So I've been home a lot, playing a lot of games. But I did catch a lot of movies as well, which was a little shocking. Mm. So, the more important half of that. <laughs> well, ex- <laughs> for this show, absolutely. Um, I got way too many platinum trophies now. It's very sad. But <laughs> like I promised last week, I wanted to exclusively watch films and shows that sort of reflect 2020, very recent films to help with the fact that this week's film of the week is a 2020 film. Is something we're not going to be able to do a lot this year is mm-hmm. new films. So I wanted to keep that tradition going uh, this week. So some of the films I caught this week include Sonic the Hedgehog. Yay. Interesting. That's a interesting. 2020 film. <laughs> oh, yeah, it would be, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, because it, it was delayed. Uh, what were your thoughts? Oh, it was delayed. That's right. Um, It's not great. The kids will like it. Yeah. The kids will like it. Do you think you're I... becoming too cynical? No, I don't think so. Look, I think... I, I have a friend who gave this the same rating they gave Portrait of a Lady in Fire, and that makes me want to cut something. I don't know if it's like a beanbag or a human being. I don't know <laughs> what it is. Um, so that really annoyed me because this film's not good. Mm-hmm. It's for video game film standards. It's fine. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, here's a sort of high budget. Or oh, the action looks fun. There actually is an action sequence in this film. It's like, oh, this is fun. Mm-hmm. But there's a, I think there's a lot of inherent problems with the character of Sonic the Hedgehog. For starters. The fact that he doesn't have one. <laughs> <laughs> well, the fact of the matter is you have... Let's treat him as a superhero because they do call it his power. He was born with a power. Mm-hmm. They do call it that in the film, which is he's very fast. He's got to go fast. Yeah. Um, there are two things that this film struggled to do. It was number one, establish rules yep. in how fast he is. And number two visually show how fast he is and in, in an interesting way that's not just a he is a blue blur in this locked off tripod shot and most of the time it's like that a, a couple of times they have fun with it there's a scene when he's playing baseball for himself that's actually kind of coolly done where they start intercutting between him he's like playing all the different roles and different costumes mm-hmm. and he's speeding between positions to play this game by himself and he, he got so fast to the point where 
you wouldn't even see the blur of him speeding past between shots. When you go from one shot to the next, he's already there in costume. And I was like, I kind of like that. That they're doing, they're being a little more unique with how they show him being very fast visually. But then the film forgets that there's rules. So, for mm-hmm. example, the entire plot of this film doesn't make any sense because he could just go to his objective in two seconds. And the film fails to tell me why he can't just do that. Like, right. So because from the trailer, it definitely looked like a road trip movie. It's very much a road trip film. He's got to get to San Francisco because he, without spoiling too much, <laughs> spoilers, ugh, he leaves an object on the tower of San Francisco, like through this portal thing. So he doesn't know how to get there. So he gets this other guy, I think his name's Thomas, to sort of drive him there. And his excuse is, oh, well, I don't know where it is. I don't know where San Francisco is. In my head, I'm like, yeah, but you're a sentient being. You can still look up a map, can't yeah. you? <laughs> When they get there, they have to. There's a whole five minute section of them trying to get a key to get access to the rooftop. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I've seen him run up buildings. He's done it. Yeah, like can he just run up the building? Yeah, so <laughs> it's kind of hard to excuse, even in kids' movies, kind of yeah. rules of the world. Well, exactly. They even establish when he gets hit by the tranquilizer, which you see in the trailer. Which I still don't know why he would get hit, but but whatever. They establish there that his legs don't work. He's like, oh, I can't run anymore. My power is useless. But then two seconds later, he's got it back again. I was like, there you go. You could have just done that. That could have been your excuse, but whatever. And even if he didn't Mm. know where it is, how long is it going to take him to to work it out and then get there, right? Exactly. It's like they play it for jokes. (laughs) How fast he is, but then... Yeah, so it's just stuff like that, like flippant rules and not enough exploration in terms of cinematically showing it. But Mm -hmm. there were a couple of action scenes, and Jim Carrey did make me laugh. There's like a scene in the final boss uh, or the final battle where he just starts ranting about people who have weddings like mm-hmm. in other countries and how that's selfish. And I just laughed. I was like, that's so random. It's funny. <laughs> but, he, well uh, cast. Uh, yeah, he yeah he was fun. Yeah, he might be the best part of it actually. That's fair. No, that's think fair. about it. It's a tough. It's a tough film. It's never been Sonic's never like video game films in general never appeal to me. Let alone ones that have characters I never played or cared about their games. Yeah, I've never played a Sonic game before. So when they announced it was coming out, it sort of felt like, like how many people, how many kids nowadays really like Sonic? I, I don't know. Like, yeah, that's, which is why it was confusing. You know, if you, if you said to me, oh, another Mario movie's coming out, I, I would understand it at least because Mario is a property that's, Mm. You know, recycled every year, so a kid would grow up playing a version of a Mario game. But Sonic, I mean, they have one every couple of years. It's normally a piece of shit, <laughs> and <laughs> it's mostly just thirty-year-old men that complain about Sonic now, right. right? So, felt like a weird video game adaptation. Sometimes right. when you see a video adaptation movie, you're like, "Oh, it makes sense in the context." Like when the Assassin's Creed one came out that was like at the peak of assassin's creed so it was like it made sense mm. why the movie was there whatever right. whatever your opinion on that movie is no no I've, i haven't seen it um, i think it's peak would be if it came out like 2012 and so i think that I would think it been... did 2013 oh really okay well, in that case i would so. agree with you there but um no i still haven't seen it assassin's creed movie but yeah no that was the thing with the sonic also why does thomas's wife's sister hate him so much she just hates him for no reason it's like, at least I know Patty and Selma why they hate Homer Simpson. At least I know. When yeah, I, it's like, what's well, obvious, but I don't know. Like it. Another film I watched that involved the CGI cartoon animal protagonist mm. is The Call of the Wild. 
When mm. when I saw, so you know how you you probably let out a collective groan and or confusion whenever you see me watch some trashy rom com movie. Uh, okay, is that what you're getting? That right was now? my reaction when I saw you watched <laughs> Call of the Wild because when I saw the trailer for that before I think 1917 or, or Little Women when I when oh, I yeah. when I saw those movies, I just was like, who's gonna watch that movie? <laughs> I'll tell you, it's better than the Sonic movie. I'll give you that. Damn. But um, again, twenty twenty films. I needed the whatever was out. I needed the grab. I what are the kids might promise? But um, I'd like this film a little bit better. It felt. I haven't read the novel. I think it's a nineteen oh three novel, The Call of the Wild. But it felt faithful to it. Like the way the narrative plays out, sort of the dog's journey or Buck's journey throughout the story. It felt faithful to the narrative, and that's why I think I liked it more. Mm-hmm. Is story wise, I didn't really have a problem with it. It made sense. Mm. Uh, the actual, I like that Harrison Ford is like barely in it for the first hour. That he's actually got a really reduced role in the in the film, which obviously his billing would say otherwise. You know, Karen Gillan's in this film as well. She's got like fourth billing and has two lines. Like, I'm sick of this fucking. And you know how much this film costs to make? It's how like, much? It's like 125 million dollars. That CGI dog sucks <laughs> for, for, for that much money. When I that was the first thing I noticed was it was like yeah. I was like, oh okay, like the premise of the film I actually kind of like, but Jesus Christ, the the CGI showing whatever happened. Like, why does people think that getting a CGI dog was a good idea? There's some shots in there that I was like, fuck, this must only be like a thirty, forty million dollar film. Yeah, it, it cost. A, it probably all went to Harrison Ford to be honest. It's <laughs> pretty stoned half the time oh. on set. He was fun in the film. Belongs in a museum. <laughs> I will say to do with the animation though, because you're right, it's not great, and all of the animals are fully CG'd in this film, and it it never looks it looks better than Sonic at least. But the thing I will give it credit for is that it didn't try to be the Lion King, because at least they used the slightly they I guess it tries to be uncanny, especially with the background vistas, like the beautiful mm. sunset shots. But they do overly animate Buck. So, say for example, someone shut, shuts a door in his face, like his head will jolt in a very cartoony way. I guess and I'll it's... give him that for giving the dog emotions. I'll give him that. Yeah, i th- I think it can. I think you can find a happy medium between mm. the two grounds. I, 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 that's one of the few praises I think I had for Lion King is that photo. I really am more a fan of the photorealism, and in a f- in a in a film about a nineteen oh three novel. I uh, I just feel like the grounded realism approach would make more sense. Right. Um, okay. Whereas if you took like you know if you took a film that's based like like something like I actually would have flipped them. You know I would have I would have taken the Lion King live act, like that sort of would like the Lion okay. like flip, flip the stars for the film. Give that know? the more cartoony aesthetic. Yeah, exactly, and give Call of the Wild a more grounded approach because okay. it's because then that way it becomes... It would make sense because the animals don't talk in Call of the Wild. They don't yeah. talk. There's nothing like that, which is impressive in its own way. There's a lot of cool scenes with no dialogue between the dogs and mm-hmm. communications. Are, but I guess I would agree with you there. Just because they don't talk, you can get away with it, the realism aspect of it. And obviously, uh, given the time in which the, the film set and stuff, yeah. that sort of more grounded realism could actually benefit it quite more. Because I... <laughs> I just can't imagine kids watching a film based off a 1903 novel. Generally, it just yeah, doesn't. and and the period that the film actually it goes even further back. Okay, so, so it's, yeah, it's very period piece. It just, to me, it feels like that would be something you would aim more at young adults rather than mm. young children. Um, 
especially with casting someone like Harrison Ford, which, you know, if a six-year-old watches that movie, they don't know who the hell Harrison Ford is. I guess when I watched it, I never really felt it was, like, overly kids' movie. Mm. Like, it's definitely for a young audience or, like, the wider family, but... But I guess it's the marketing power you get with Harrison Ford. Why not just make it, like, some C-list old man actor? Why does it have to be Harrison Ford? Why? Yeah. How much money did he get paid where, really any old man could have played that role. Right, yeah. If you're I mean, going he was, for just kids marketing. If he wasn't in it, I don't know if I would have watched it. Because I, I watched exactly, it... Exactly, that's kinda, what I'm saying. Yeah, being like, your, oh, I kind of want to see him in it. Yeah. yeah, for you, for someone of your age. But a six-year-old doesn't care, it's Harrison mm-hmm. Ford. It's true. They just see an old man. <laughs> uh, old man! Isn't that the guy who died in that Star Wars movie? <laughs> that's the, yeah, exactly, fair enough. Yeah. Um... Did you catch anything, um, or do you want me to... I, you can jump into yours for now. Uh, okay, so I've watched, uh, I guess systematically, I'll go through this. Systematically. Yeah, because I've got three tiers, I think, this okay. week. Um, oh. So we've got the doco sector. We'll start with that. I watched two documentaries this week. Uh, I watched, and my most recent watch was Operation Odessa, which was... A documentary about three men uh, who were drug running for... They were based in Miami, Florida, and they were, you know, sort of helped supply the cartels in Colombia with transports to move their goods. And uh, this, basically, this whole thing evolved into them aiming to acquire a military submarine from the Russian government in order to transport stuff for the cartel. Uh, The fact that this is a documentary is what is keeping me intrigued right now. um, It definitely... It's sort of one of those um, hidden gems. It's on Netflix right now, and um, it definitely has elements of sort of... Not quite the the shades of brilliance of things like Fire, um, which I think everyone in Fire felt real whereas this was very much three men that were sort of i felt like there were points where they were playing up their interviews okay um the character quote yeah they became they were definitely way more character you know characterized where the the caricatures yeah they were caricatures and you sort of at points you were a little bit like oh it feels like like and i think it was part of their personality which is what kept you in but it definitely felt sometimes that uh, they ca- it's sort of the same some of the problems I had with Tiger King too mm. but Tiger King because they spent so long with each of them they managed to the you know the creators behind it managed to really showcase the arrogance and the douche douchiness of each of those right. characters like well, exploited with, those characters with Tiger King you can tell that is just their authentic personality it didn't yeah. feel like they were playing themselves up, so to speak. No, and if anything, they actually made comments on it. You know, you take someone like Joe Exotic, where they actually said that he started to act differently when there was a camera on him. You yeah, know, be, yeah. He played so it up to it. the camera. So, um, but I think that came with, obviously, they were with their, you know, the subjects of their documentary, which probably never was meant to be a doco series. And then because they had so much content, mm. it sort of evolved from there. Because they were with them for so long, you know. They managed to... They had, you know... They were just lying in wait like a tiger. Um, <laughs> Whoa, five uh, out of five. <laughs> but, uh, no, it definitely was... It was an e- like an easy watch. Um, I think you can only do so much with... There wasn't a lot of footage. There was a lot of archival photos. Oh, okay, I see. Um, they definitely... 
uh, shot all their interviews pretty dynamically, which I quite liked. There was some good cover, great interview coverage, but yeah, I think Fire because it had so much archival uh, mm. n- nature to it, and the same thing with Jim and Andy with both of those documentaries. Because there was so much archival stuff to back up the, uh, the piece camera testimonials, yeah. it's what separates documentaries. I think, like, um, like I watched, I remember watching Abducted in Plain Sight earlier this year, and the amount of like tapes, you know, it's sort of like why everyone likes those Ted Bundy ones. It's the mm-hmm. access to the archive. Otherwise, it's just a crime documentary about a bunch of people telling a story about a crime that did potentially happen right i especially with that ted bunny example i love is that you're right it's it's a first primary source (laughs) from the horse's mouth literally so yeah it does add that extra flavor that otherwise you wouldn't want out of a documentary i don't think yeah exactly um and the other one i watched was a little bit different it was called shot the psycho yeah the psycho uh (laughs) spiritual mantra of rock and it followed the name um, yeah Oh, Jesus. Shot, exclamation mark. Kill and then, me. Um, <laughs> it's sort of, it's very appropriate for the type of documentary it was. And you want to talk about a guy who had access. He, uh, The documentary follows Mick Rock, who, that's his legitimate name, um, who was a, a rock photographer in the 70s and 80s. And he's the guy who took a lot of David Bowie's photos, took a lot of uh, Lou Reed's photos, uh very famous album covers like the queen two album cover right okay he's the guy who took the photos so very famous rock photographer and it sort of follows his uh basically for a minute i thought you meant literal rocks he just took photos of rocks no no (laughs) no um the genre of music um and it was you know it it was kind of honestly the title pretty much sums up the sort of tone they were going for it's it's very much him just sort of reflecting on his career and getting that sort of uh perspective and i i am as you know and i've talked about a lot on the show i'm a big fan of musical documentaries um and sort of exploring all facets of it and this was definitely uh, a part that i'd never thought i'd you know get to see so that was cool um but once again like other uh musical documentaries didn't do anything that made me jaw drop right or, jump or... nothing jumped out sort of thing not really no it felt like it was just a man who had a very acclaimed career just reflecting on his career and they did do some cool and there were some cool archival uh, tapes of him talking to lou reed and david bowie like mm. a very young david bowie and and that's really interesting but even the way they talked just felt sort of like it's kind of parodied now like the douchey rock from the 70s and they, they it's do like it the in... spinal tap sort of Thing. Sort of, yeah. yeah. It's funny that I, I still haven't seen Spinal Tap. Me neither, it's, but it's, Charles McGill is in it. I think, uh, <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, but exactly, yeah. It definitely felt like a parody. But they were the docos I watched this week. Cool. All right. Do you uh, want to throw it back to me then? Or Yeah, if you've got more. Absolutely. All right. Well, jump there's, on in. there's two more features I watched from the last year. They're both 2019 films. Technically, they both came out in Australian theaters for like a second mm-hmm. before they were sort of thrown out due to everything that's happened. Uh, the two films in question are Guns Akimbo and Queen and Slim. Caesar... I saw that you just put up Queen and Slim. Yeah, I watched that this morning. Oh, there so we go. I was like, I got to get it in before today because I really... That and Guns Akimbo were the two I really wanted to watch in theaters. I just ran out of time before before everything shut. But um... Yes, Guns, Guns Akimbo was definitely... Uh... 
that one, it, although looked like it looked sort of, it looked trash in my opinion, but right. definitely something I would have gone and seen in a cinema. Uh, that one and that new that that Ryan Reynolds one, I would have probably. Oh, the gaming one. That's first for guy, first guy oh, or something. Um, it's called guy. Or gosh, game guy or something like Jack's that. Jack's probably gonna shoot yeah. us <laughs> when he I'll hears this. It. I shall check it. <laughs> yeah, check on that. Um, so, so guns akimbo. I liked it. It's definitely style over substance. There's a lot of interesting themes explored, but nowhere near to the extent I would have liked to have seen them because it's about trolling and gaming and free guy. So free guy, that's it. And uh sort of mass consumption of like overly violent crutes content of which mm-hmm. these internet sort of clan, they do these death matches in real life and they stream them online and people love to watch them. And it never really feels like I'm getting a lesson to me. Mm-hmm. It just feels like, all right, this is a setup. Now we're gonna have fun. Here's Daniel Radcliffe Uzi's nailed to his hands and mm-hmm. he sort of has his own arc where he sort of becomes alive, I guess, because he's an internet troll. Prior to that, he's kind of a down and he's like a gaming developer with this girl that he kind of likes, but they've never really... He's a loser. Yeah, in a way. And that's sort of how they address that. And Samantha Weaving's in it too and she's fun. She's like the the master of this game, but you sort of get hints that she's doesn't really want to do it anymore. She's sort of doing it beyond her will. Mm-hmm. And there's a bit of a rebel thing that has to happen there. But stylistically, it's fun enough. It was very consistent. It's kind of like, it's weird because it is sort of a hardcore Henry Cross Birds of Prey stylistically, where you think of Birds of Prey, it's like, well, it was very colorful and a lot of stuff was popping in your face. And it's similar to that, obviously, a little bit more violent mm-hmm. in this case. And um, yeah, so if you're into that, I, f- I recommend it. It's fun. No, I got it. It's only like 90, 95 minutes long, so it does kind of pass by. But I would have liked if there was a bit more of a, a nail on the head with those themes of people watching this like horrible stuff happening on the internet and being like, fuck yeah, dude, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. It's like some of those lines walk the line between corny and like, okay, not so corny. I guess it's, I guess yeah. it's tricky because it depends on what tone you're going for. If you yeah. go for something like, well, like this or, 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 um, where it's it's almost played for comedy. That's yeah. Sort of cool. Whereas if you took something like Hunger Games, it's anything but. Uh, That's a good comparison. Gra- yeah. Like gratifying. Yeah. Um. Uh. I know The Hunt came out this year too, and that's oh, yeah. probably a looks looks to be more serious than fun. Um. And then of course you talked about Ready or Not earlier. Uh, on another. Yeah, week. that remind me a lot of this. Where I think I was way harder on that film for its just off kill themes that mm-hmm. it could have nailed better. I think this film gets closer to doing that and they both have um, weaving in it, which is quite funny. But I also thought of that film, the ready or not as well. Cause that is sort of a good comparison where it's like, they almost hit the nail on the head, but there's something in there, I guess, mm-hmm. if you're not looking for a theme so much as just the fun, gory side of things. But, um, so I can recommend it on that front. Yep. It's a very solid free star film. And the other one, Queen and Slim, was uh, something I was very excited about. So it's it's actually director debut or feature debut from Melina uh, Matsukas. Okay. Or Mats, uh, Matsukas. Yeah, I think it's something like that. Uh, she's a Grammy-winning music director or music video director who usually works with Rihanna and stuff. And this is her first film. And for those who don't know, it's about these two African-Americans uh, who go on this, I won't say a blind date. Well, they, they go on a date from Tinder and it's sort of blasé. They hit it off, but they don't. And then on the way to dropping her home, they get pulled over by a cop. One thing leads to another. They end up shooting the cop, and now they're on the run. And 
I love it does the free billboards thing where like that premise is over in five minutes mm-hmm. and now the rest of the story plays out. And I loved a lot of it. I think similar to some of the other films I talked about, thematically it could have gone a little deeper because the whole thing is that they become sort of a legacy uh, to the people around them and and people sort of rise up in their name of like they're taking down the man sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But it does, it feels like a love story that's faintly pretending to be a black exploitation film instead. Right. So if you love the two characters, and I did, I thought Queen was really well fleshed out and like her history and the fact that she's actually a criminal defense lawyer and that plays into her being very much like all right this is what we're going to do now like there's no fooling around with her when when the cop is shot she's like all right we're going and this is what we're going to do and this is what we're going to do there's no like oh shit like morality sort of thing like yeah. that so it's interesting from that point of view but the guy and he's played by the same dude who's the lead in get out oh and, okay um, he's he's really great in this but i feel like he was a little underdeveloped i didn't really know much about him and I was hoping that they were saving it to the end, but they don't necessarily. But um, I really enjoyed it. I think it could have been a little stronger, a little sharper. There's mm-hmm. a lot of um, a lot of repetition story-wise where they're on the road, they meet these people, they almost get caught, they're on the road, they meet these people. And it, they're meeting people. It leads to a montage that happens towards the end, which is nice, but I feel there was more interesting ways to, to show that their, their actions have started things around mm-hmm. them, like uprisings and, you know, the argument between, you know, black people and cops and all this stuff. So it was good, great, maybe. Could have been better. Interesting. But interesting. I did enjoy it over. I, rec- I definitely recommend it. Queen is slim. Oh, that's good cool. Stuff. That's cool. Uh, it's but, nice yeah. to at least get some 2020 films in. <laughs> exactly. Well, something that's not uh, crap. <laughs> Putting it bluntly. Speaking of crap... Um, <laughs> So, uh, my second uh, group, uh, well, one of them is, I actually only watched one crap film this week, and that was one of the latest Netflix original editions, Love Wedding Repeat, Um, and it's a British comedy centered around a wedding. Um, Really confusing film in the sense that uh, they were basically trying to go for if, um, you know, if eight people sit at a table like basically at its core is it goes through the day of this wedding and chaos slowly ensues and there's eight eight different characters and they're all going through different motions but then towards not even towards the end but like literally the tipping point so yeah basically that that transition between act two and three so the low point for all the characters uh it basically goes well, now, if everyone had sat in a different seat, this is what would oh, happen. And that's cool. Not, I don't think no. so, because it's transitioned through a montage, and then it's wrapped up into like a neat little bow. But the fact of the matter is, they all knew each other beforehand, so they weren't eight random strangers sitting at a table. Um, they majoritively knew of each other, and... The fact of the matter is, in the opening bit, when they all sit down and they're all like, oh man, I'm like one of them sitting next to their ex girlfriend, mm. you literally can pick up the table card and and they even show the kids picked up the table cards and moved them earlier. Gotcha. And like, not all eight of them are sitting down simultaneously. So, like, the ex girlfriends and the ex boyfriend, they're sitting next to each other while the new boyfriend's across the table. And it's like, I'm sorry, but like, you wouldn't be locked to that spot. You would 
swap with the new boyfriend to avoid awkward. Okay, I see. It was just like a little bit like, well, that makes no sense and that makes no sense. And then it just kept stacking on of things that didn't make sense with the occasional every 10 minutes having an actual funny joke in there. So it was... It sounds like they waited too long in the film to introduce the idea of, oh, and this is what would happen. Yeah, exactly. The, the concept, actually, there's a sound concept in there. Okay. I, like, there's definitely, had there been a little bit more refinement, mm. I think that they could have been sitting on a quite a clever film. But rom-coms with time manipulation, anything that comes after about time, is just always going to be, yeah, I yeah. think. Uh, Unless you're 50 days of summer. 500 days to summer. Jesus. Yeah, but that came before About Time. Right, so that gotcha. was e- That's even older. Yeah. Um, but I think About Time really pushes... I mean, it's literally about a time-travelling bloke, so... Um, whereas 500 Days to Summer is just non-chronological storytelling. Right, okay, um, I see what you mean. Um, whereas I'm talking about literal, like, alternate timelines and time manipulation. Gotcha. And... It goes a little further. Yeah, exactly. It's not, it would have been a great concept if they did something like that where you get several different timelines of people when they sit in different seats what happens and it could have been like a fun cautionary tale of ah be careful who you get sitting next to who exactly but instead there's this really shallow rom-com trope and there's some characters that do things and those things are immediately forgiven or Uh, they're they're okay i don't like that i don't it just wasn't it wasn't sharp um i watched uh a couple of now probably my third category which are Indie Darlings and Hidden Gems of the last... That's a great... Hidden Darlings and Indie Gems. Yes. I like that. Um, so, starting with the lowest and then, like, the one that I thought the least of and then yep. obviously moving into the best films I watched this week, uh, Frank and Cindy was this really curious uh, feature film about a recent... Uh, high school graduate who's trying to qualify for film school so he films his parents in sort of a mockumentary sense in which his dad was a one-hit wonder in the 1980s so and he's sort of this aged rock star now okay, who yeah. has definitely left his glory days behind and obviously his and that's his stepdad and then his and then his actual mum who is this you know she's this constantly recovering alcoholic drug addict and it's sort of just the mess of their life, but sort of the allowances. And I really actually quite enjoyed the way that um, uh, the the protagonist, the son, is shaped in this. He's not, like, he doesn't lash out. He's not, kind of, like, he's actually very patient. Right. He's a good boy. Generally speaking, but he definitely has his own cases of, of bad behavior. And he's played by... I was very interesting because it like I saw the guy who's playing him and I was like he looks like Emil Hirsch but he's not Emil Hirsch he's the guy who is in Perks of Being a Wallflower but he's the 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 gay love interest for the gay character oh, I know who you're talking about and he's like the jock yeah. who's like a closet gay yeah and then that leads into the fight that happens in that yes film. okay so he's that yeah, guy yeah. cool that's and cool. I was like I was like wow that's just a real and I looked at like his filmography and man hasn't done that much so it was really interesting to see him in this film so he was I, one of the lead roles in this he was the lead wow okay um and uh yeah no it was it was nothing like groundbreaking but it was entertaining it had a cool concept uh it felt relatively fresh it was quite sharp for what felt like a relatively low budget film so yeah it was pretty cool that was yeah but the two big ones definitely uh this week were first reformed which is the 
Paul Schrader film starring Ethan Hawke. Okay. Um, That's a good combo right there. Yeah. Uh, Ethan Hawke is pretty great. Um, <laughs> generally, yeah. Just generally. Um, and uh, also co-starring Amanda Seyfried. Oh, nice, Seyfried nice. or however you like yeah, to say I, it. I like her. Um, Paul Schrader, I haven't watched anything of his as I had a reflection, but um, this is his most recent release. Uh, and it was a really cool film about... Uh, sort of commenting on a uh, pastor who worked at the First Reformed Church, which is this very old school church, and how uh, he's slowly following the suicide of one of the the people that attended the church. Mm. He sort of develops a relationship with Amanda Seyfried, who's the widower, a pregnant widower of that said person. Oh no! It's but it's not. It's not like. <laughs> full-blown relationship um i would absolutely encourage you to watch this film it's so, currently sitting on netflix so so this is called first reform first reformed Perfect. yes cool. um and it's sort of this uh it's following the year of this this pastor and how um sort of the the influences of how even the church is corruptible to think it's talk discussing about global warming and mm-hmm. such and sort of how even like the system these systems that are meant to be impartial to change. And he sort of has a spiritual awakening and it's a very interesting film and I really enjoyed it. And the last 15 minutes are insanely intense. So I would absolutely encourage that. And of course that leads me to definitely one of my favorite films this year. I think Uh, I saw you gave a really high rating to one on Letterboxd this week. Yes. uh, The Florida Project. Yes. I need to watch this so badly. Um, So... Obviously, as the man who promotes the VPN Netflix service, <laughs> uh, I managed to catch the Florida Project on Netflix Brazil. Um, for any of our viewers out there with a VPN who want to take advantage of this. Did you watch it in this. Portuguese? I did not. Um, <laughs> and honestly, it was... So, the Florida Project follows uh, a young girl and her summer at this motel that is just across from Disneyland. Oh, cool. Um, I that. So, and it's sort of commenting on the social disparity disparity of wealth in the United States, how, mm. you know, you've got this pinnacle of capitalism. Right, next door. That's clever, To yeah. the projects, which are a collection of really poor motels that have a lot of poor people, crime, prostitution. Mm. Um, and it's sort of uh, this eight-year-old's uh, journey, very much shot in ways from a perspective uh and it's sort of the dynamic she has with her mom, the other kids at the motel, and uh, the motel's manager, who's played by Willem Dafoe. Yeah, my boy. And I'm very pro Willem Dafoe. I can't think of too many things. I know I have watched one movie this year, which I despised him in, but general, uh, that was uh, the last thing he wanted. Uh, which oh, was I didn't know he was in that. And Anne Hathaway, and okay. I, that was definitely not a case of. That was the film. Uh, it, it got very... You know, the funny thing about that film is it felt very... Almost like Movie 43, where it felt like oh, the, the, the filmmaker, whoever had made it, just blackmailed a bunch of people to be in it. Um, <laughs> do you know that in Movie 43? I know. Of, yeah. yeah, I know about that. Yeah. But um, that's um, funny. Because the characters were so either archetypal or they were so poorly written, his character was particularly bad. Um, you still got to watch The Lighthouse as well, because he is phenomenal It's true. That. Um, but I've also watched At Eternity's Gate this year. Yeah. Really enjoyed that. So I've definitely very pro him. And in this film, 
He's definitely not as... He's not playing a bombastic character like I assume he plays in The Lighthouse or like a, a larger-than-life character right. like you know Vincent Van Gogh. He's just playing a motel manager who's sort of just sympathizes with, you know, like he's not that far up the chain compared to the people that are residing in his hotel. Right. He doesn't have a lot of authority. And he comparison. definitely cares for the kids. Like there is this one scene that involves a pedophile that he, he tackles it not in a way of like, look, I'm such a hero, just sorts the incident out. And I think yeah. his performance is, is pretty brilliant all, all round, but um, definitely even the ending is, is really cool. And, and I love films that sort of transcend their, their, their world that they're in, mm-hmm. have those much more in depth conversations in them. And just the, the, uh, the whole concept of having, you know, Disney world just beyond the horizon. And this is what it's like in real life, you know, like where all the tourists and all the rich people are, they're all over there, but not two feet away are all this, this poor disparity. And yeah how thin the line is literally in that sense. Yeah. And the funny thing is we don't see nearly as many of those films based in Australia because it's sort of just a contextual thing. We just don't have that level of that, that disparity to that extent. Right. At least not right in front of us. Um, And definitely in the, in the time right now, in times like right now, watching that film was definitely a profound experience for Mm. sure. Um, And a visual, a visually, it was it was up until the the final sequence in the film, and I, I'm I'm going to assume you will watch this film. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Very soon, Jake, and you'll have to give me a comment on it because the last sequence, it, it's it almost goes from being incredibly cinematic to uh like a handheld phone, like very digital, like the, and I'd be very and I think I know why because um, of certain restrictions they were probably plagued with because of, obviously, the budget of the film. But you'll you'll see it, and I think you'll be like, well, that was a strange transition. But I guess for the content they got in the final sequence, it makes sense. But okay. It makes me curious. It is a very curious change mm. in visual... Not vi- not necessarily visual tone, but just you can tell there was well, a like change a in resource. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they it looked like they went from I'm assuming what was probably in like an Alexa or an Ursa down to a mobile phone. <laughs> um, it's like the Hobbit when they had those GoPros in that river. And I was like, this exactly, looks horrible. exactly like that. Except that film was like a hundred and fifty million dollar film. This one exactly. was probably less than ten. Uh, my current GoPro shoots better than the crap they had on that Hobbit. This is true. Shoot, this like, is true. But there's there's certain things. It doesn't matter what rendition of the GoPro it is. They have a very digitized look to them that you can't. Yeah. Well, they're so compact. The technology. Exactly. Um. And I think that's the difference between it. Like you know, shooting with an underwater camera and then shooting with a GoPro. It, it, there's a different look. I mean, we've even seen films uh, by filmmakers much closer to us who have mm. used GoPros in their final films. And, and you know, it's like they're professional cinematographers. So you can tell when it goes from that cinematic like experience right, to, yeah. Oh, that's a GoPro. <laughs> <laughs> you can pick up on it. For sure. And I know it because it costs so much, obviously to have a put a real camera underwater or, but it's funny when I did a, um, when I think it was Cottesloe or whatever, or Sorrento, one of the two, when I filmed the beach enclosures there a few months ago, they had a guy from Queensland coming to do a doco, mm-hmm. and he had the full gear, man. Like he and we kind of started talking because I think he wanted some of my drone footage. Mm-hmm. And I wanted some of his underwater shots, and he had this full, 
like glass casing for his yeah. GH5S, and it looked so cool. I was like, "How much is that?" Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> well, it, it, and but it, it, I mean, it, the difference shows. I mean, you you can watch Jaws nowadays, and it hasn't aged a bit. Right, you yeah. can still enjoy and watch Jaws because it has that film quality to it. Whereas you know, like I could watch that and then I'll watch The Hobbit and I'll be like, ooh. It puts a date to it. Absolutely. Which is not great, yeah. Yeah, especially in something as drastically uh, cinematic as The Hobbit is. Exactly, for what they were trying to do with the 48 frames per... But all, yeah, all of that crap. Exactly. But, um, I will watch The Florida Project. I'm very curious what is in store for that because no, I love Willem Dafoe. Yes, I would but, absolutely yeah. recommend it. Now, I got a couple of shows and these are 2020 new seasons. So I'll just whip okay. them through the quickly, and this might lead... I don't know if you want to talk any more about Tiger King at all this week or how much we want to get into it. I'm I'm happy to yeah, do whatever, cool. whatever you'd like to discuss about it. All That's... right. Well, I'll start with these two. So last year, you, I don't know which episodes, but I started watching two shows throughout the year called Merida, uh, Miracle Workers on Stan and Afterlife on Netflix. Yes. And I talked about how Afterlife Season 2 was coming out this week, last week. And uh, I watched it hoping that it would be better than the first season because I found it very uh, just miserable. Mm-hmm. And I kind of got what they were going for at the end where I was like, oh, people should be good to each other. And this show dipped and dived so much for me the second season. It's like less than three hours long across the whole series. or Oh, sorry, all of season two. And it just, ah, oh, I don't know, man. I just, I couldn't handle it. I mean... Something about Ricky Gervais's direction in particular is mm-hmm. just, oh, I hate it. I just, I don't, I just can't stand it. And we mm-hmm. talked about it last week. I don't mind him in person when he's you know talking shit to Hollywood people and stuff. I just feel like he's not good at making actual products, so to speak. That's fair. I think well, outside of his stand-up comedy specials, yeah, well, exactly. Called. Like when um, he actually sits down to write something. Yeah, I mean, it show. comes back to it's sort of a natural progression of a stand-up comedian to. Uh, slowly progress into the film mm-hmm. landscape. Um, you know, think looking at Frank and Cindy, there's a very small 15-minute role for Mark Maron, who oh, okay, is... Cool. Uh, he just had know, a special recently as well. Yeah, it was good. I've watched oh. all of his specials. Nice, I really nice. enjoy his specials. Um, he's got that sort of dry, that dry humor I quite enjoy. I don't enjoy it with everyone, but with him it kind of works because he's sort of... Just feels like life has just pushed him to a point where he's like, fuck this. Um, uh, yeah, no, but I I agree. I can't think of any any particular standout Ricky Gervais films that I've watched. I think Ghost Town's probably the most tolerable, I think. Right, okay. Of all of but them. But tolerable with a keyword, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, wasn't a fan of uh, The Invention of Lying. Oh, no, nah, I don't like that film either. So... Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I like his Night of the Museum cameos, I guess, but he's oh yeah, because he's, the, he's in the owner of the the museum. But shit, that makes so much sense. Yeah, but it's it's obviously it's not his movie, so yeah, exactly. I, I he's think, stepping into Ben Stiller's land at yeah. that point. So I'm with you. I I, I I can't. Although I will always be pro him just because of his right. comments on celebrities. <laughs> you yeah, know, Ellen just... said being in isolation is the equivalent of being in prison. Did she actually Ellen say DeGeneres that? said that. Jesus. Yeah, I've heard a lot of stuff about her in the last year. I was like, whoa, I didn't, I didn't know oh, yeah, most people, that. Are, most people think she's horrible. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm starting to learn why. Yeah. <laughs> that is one of but them. When she, said, when she said that. I'm sorry, Anne Frank. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. Being an honest. This is interesting. Um, yeah, I honestly, I can't in good 
conscious recommend Afterlife. It gets good reviews. I have friends who do like the show. If you want to look at a comedy that's not miserable but is also funny, Bojack. Just go to Bojack. Mm. It's not that hard. Well, The Good Place, apparently, people like too. Oh, yeah. And they wrapped on the same night. Yeah. Those, both those shows. Yeah. And going back to... There's um, a really good uh, Wisecrack video about their oh, sort of uh, how they compare, how they both take uh, different approaches to the same topics. Okay. Because I, I saw the thumbnail for it, but I haven't seen The Good Place, so I haven't... I steer clear away from that video, but... Yeah. yeah, they're good. They're good Essentially, they do. They tack they tackle the same ideologies, nice. but in completely different ways. Like one of them is way more optimistic than the other one's quite pessimistic. Gotcha, so. gotcha. <laughs> Take a guess um, which one you think that is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just look at the thumbnails. Like, yeah, I think I get it. <laughs> um, and quickly with Miracle Workers, the first season I was like, eh, it's quirky and fun. It's the one with Steve Buscemi plays God and stuff. Um, what's weird about second? Mm? Believable. <laughs> well, what's funny about the second season, it's not called season two. It's called Miracle Workers Dark Ages. And what it is, and this kind of blew me away. I, was like, I guess this is some sort of anthology series because it was just a completely different setting, mm-hmm. the same cast, but they're playing completely different characters. Mm-hmm. And it's just a whole new story. And I was like, oh, this is this threw me off a bit. And what's so fascinating about it doing like a medieval setting is that I thought the production design was terrible on the first season. I was like, everything looks like a set. Everything. Mm-hmm. And then I watched this, and I'm like, oh, it actually looks pretty good. I don't know how they... Well, maybe the they just got more funding. It. Maybe. Like, I don't, like, you do that transition, and it actually works better. Most people like, were pretty positive about that show, too. Yeah, it's... It's, it's something about Buscemi's charisma, though. Right, yeah. Well, he plays, like, the loving father in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do touch on the 100 Ways to Die in the West sort of comedy much better in this version. Where, like, they're so nonchalant to just being murdered by these horrible things just because of the time period. Oh, man, I saw a scene from that the other day, and I forgot oh, really? how bad that... I saw that film in the cinema. Same, same. Uh, the only good thing about it is the Back to the Future references. It's the only good thing about that film. <laughs> but, um, Liam yeah. Neeson's interview for that is one of the funniest. Oh, really? Where he's just like, they paid me, like, 10 million bucks. What did you expect? <laughs> I gotta watch that. That's awesome. Yeah. But um, I was shocked by the sudden change of scenery. After a while, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And I guess the sort of like Black Mirror, I guess you kind of mm. have to look at the title to figure out what the main through line is. And again, it's miracle work. Because I think it's the idea that these people are sort of, uh, they're doing things for the greater good in like their mm. little communities and stuff. So I, yeah, I, I quite, it's easy watch. Yeah. It's easy watch. It's fun. The only but, new yeah. show I've, picked up in the last week and we'll continue to move forward with yep. uh you might have seen it before uh, the telly got turned off oh, yeah, peaky did... blinders hey. um which is i don't think it's a netflix original but it's definitely been at the forefront of their marketing after its bafta success um because it started to pick up a lot of british awards for mm. its uh television obviously with vikings wrapping up i was like i haven't managed to watch the ending of that show but I was like, mm, I need a new history show uh, <laughs> or like a new uh, period piece show. And yeah. um, I was immediately drawn to the fact that the two head names that were on on the Peaky Blindings bill were, at least in the first season, were Sam Neill and, and Cillian Murphy. And Ooh, outside, of, nice. uh, outside of obviously the Dark Knight trilogy where he has a rel- relatively small role, Cillian Murphy, um, and he's in A Quiet Place 2, which hasn't, Oh, yeah, part two. Come out, yeah. I think it's November now, October. Um, but he's the the male lead in that one. And obviously only recently watching that film. Uh, I'm keen for that. Um, but he's really good in it. 
he he's got kind of a spooky face, which I've always thought. <laughs> um, Interesting face, yeah. But Sam Neil, Sam Neil, you know, it's just like every time he's like on, you just you just give a little like yes. <laughs> you get a little excited. Yeah. I, I I showed you that video with him and Hugo in the bath together. <laughs> it's like they <laughs> just did an isolation crazy. video of both of them in the bath. Yeah, and it's they just, just had like, a bath together. I was like, man, we've got some good actors, don't we? Uh, <laughs> I know, I know, Sam Neill's Kiwi, but it's like, yeah, you same know, thing. it's pretty much the same thing. <laughs> um, we own Taika, but he's you. really good. So it's all, it's a really good show. Um, I don't think I've gotten to the, like the real like oh like it's picking up. Oh, you finished you finished first season now. I yeah, think. just finished first season. Cool, cool. First, you know, first seasons of shows are very. Uh, they're actually the most open closed seasons. I think, generally speaking, if a mm. show, it's almost like a show basically doesn't know if it's going to get a second season, so they kind of exactly, tie yeah. the bow enough. Yeah. You know, um, I don't know many shows that leave it. Like, oh, there's definitely gonna be a second season. I think Breaking Bad sort of leaves it relatively kind open. Of. It ends on it on one of Tuco's dealings, so it's like I guess the deal goes through. So you... yeah, but with the the hint of danger, I suppose. Of, oh, look how violent Tuco. It felt is. more open than most shows. Yeah, there was almost like a confidence there. But even that was the writer strike affected them. So I think that wasn't meant to be the season's end, even as a first season. It was meant to end a little after that. Yeah, and it's the only reason Jesse even survived through the rest of the show and didn't die in the first season. No, Tuco's death strike. would have been a good ending point. It would be interesting. Yeah, I could see that. Hank Hank essentially saves the day and and they get away. Yeah, but, so I could have seen that. That could have been the ending. Just a guess. Just a prediction. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the whole, the road went all sideways with the writer's strike, so it's hard to predict at this point. Yeah, okay. They're open. They're open about all the stuff they wanted to do and... Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. It's, it's but cool. yeah, no, it's it's good enough to keep watching. Um, I have no issues with it. It's quite fun. It's a different setting. I haven't ever watched anything in that sort of like post World War One, very industrial revolution esque right, okay. time. And uh, I know, you know, a friend, a mutual friend of both of us, Morgan Gillette, is a huge fan of the show. So, yeah, that's cool. Um. And he wants to go. He wants to go as them for Halloween. So I was like, "Oh, fine, I'll watch the show. It's fine." Gotta get the context, dude. I, there's no way I could do that. I got long hair and a beard. They're all clean shaven. <laughs> Stu broke like back the... mountain again. Yeah. <laughs> no, I have to shave. Uh, um, that's yeah, true. but that's that's the only new show I've watched. Right. Um, yeah. Let's talk about Tiger King just for a minute because yep. I know a lot of people probably want to hear what we think about that. I think you might have not as like high praise for it as others, but uh high enough. Not right. not like. Uh, I think I've sat on a three and a half. Um, right, out of and five. I, and I'd probably wonder between the three and the three and a half, so probably if I was to be real, like okay. 3.25. Um, it kept me watching. It was very bingeable. That mm. was probably one of its biggest positives. Uh, definitely had really good uh, hooks to the net. Like, you found just I watched the whole show in a day. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I can't not acknowledge that. Um I I like it well enough. Um, I think that the fact that they managed to make us watch a bunch of horrible human beings be horrible <laughs> for was it six or seven episodes? Yeah, so is is a testament. Um, I don't I don't really know when after finishing it. Like, there's not like an overarching I I think thing you learn. It's more just, this right. is just a segment of life for these people. 
And because not like, I guess the penultimate conclusion. Do we do we go into spoilers about it? Do you want to go? Um, into... I mean, it's it's based on real life events. I think people know that Joe Exotic's in prison. Yes. So I think we can talk Link's about that. It's in the end of the first episode too. So. Yeah, exactly. They open with it. So. Um. So obviously, I think the way things unfolded, even by the end of the first episode, you sort of knew where that was gonna go because of who the people were, but. I guess it wasn't, like, a satisfying... Because they tease... I think they do tease in the first episode, like, oh, well, why is he in prison? And the and they come out right with it of, oh, well, it's rumoured he tried to kill Carol Baskin. Yeah. And even though there's a lot of, like, very glaring, like, hints throughout the show, like, some real, like, holy shit moments yeah. throughout that how crazy these people are, but I guess there's not, like, a concrete, you know, dartboard... Sent, I'm just looking at your dartboard right now. It's a lot of... Conclusion. I mean, at the end of the day, it's something like what... Once again, what prevents it from being something like on the same level of an impact as something like fire is it's not concrete. A lot of it is a he said, she said situation. Yeah. Um, even down to each episode having a different sort of micro-investigation. You know, you take a doc... And his mm. in, and then the very uh, small investigation they take into his sort of, you know, work culture that he's developed and how he's allegedly killing, <laughs> killing these animals after a certain point. But a lot of it is just allegedly. It's a lot of, uh, well, this is how this works. And at the end of the day, no one's likable. You're not rooting for anyone because, you know, they go, they do the Carol episode. And what do they do? They're like, oh, well, she might have murdered her first yeah, husband. Yeah, it turns you know? into a police investigation show. <laughs> so, it, essentially, and if anything, they actually highlight the only people that you should really, you know, empathise with are actually the people that worked at these places. Right. If, if there was anyone. So, to, the person who lost their arm during... The, the the tiger fight or whatever in the second episode. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. Just kind of the innocent the victims. Zookeepers, in the yeah, zookeepers. The yeah. zookeepers who, who actually learn to, like, really enjoy and love their job mm. and and put the effort in. And they were definitely that sort of, you know, lower class, bottom of the barrel people too. So there's definitely uh, entertainment. Yeah, it, plenty, yeah. Very memeable. In, in the series, <laughs> I think, because they're so many, they're all characters, it makes it makes it very easy to be entertaining in terms of, like, a popcorn entertainment, but mm. nothing thought-provoking, whereas... Yeah, it's, it's cautionary, like, but you, it doesn't really go... Like, fire, I think you're right, it does deal with it better. There's more conclusive yeah, well, there's, there's, things to take from it. At the it. end of the day, it was... The problem with fire and what makes fire so effective is is the pacing and how they build to the, the day, but everyone in it is not a character. They're just people right. who do these jobs, you know, like the people like the festival planners and stuff like that, who it's literally just their job. They've done it at other festivals, and then they got roped into this one that led to this disaster. Yeah, yeah. And the only people that are really personalities in the sort of fire documentary are the people that actually don't get a lot of talking time in it. It's yeah, very... they're sort of the characters you watch from afar. You don't really get the interview yeah, like with them. the dude who's the 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 actual criminal. Yeah, he doesn't have an interview in it at all. It's fascinating. It's yeah. just solely the people that he affected talking about it. I think part of what you're saying is all plays into the idea that there there is almost no sort of you know when you when you have two people in like a comedy class, one mm-hmm. has to play the straight man. 
Yeah. And there is no straight man in Tiger because they're all just as crazy as each other. Yeah. Even if they can it laugh comes, about it. It comes back to there's a sequence at the end of, I think, the second or third episode where the interviewer is going through each interview and going, oh, do you think Carol Baskin killed her husband? And then it cuts to one of the zookeepers. He's just like, I don't fucking care. <laughs> like, it's like, he's, I like him a lot, actually, and, that guy. But he's funny because... <laughs> He, he doesn't give a shit. Yeah. He's doing his job. He doesn't want to be one of these people that's just going to speculate. And and he knows that because of this, this narrow tunnel vision of Joe Exotic, it's led to the downfall of the eventual park. And mm-hmm. obviously when he's doing his interview, you can tell that that's very much sort of at least that zookeeper's mindset where it's like, well, because of... Joe's obsession with Carol that led to this park falling apart and him neglecting his duties and not really caring about the people that worked here or more importantly, the animals that inhabited it. Yeah. That's also how you lose track of the animals. Like by a few episodes in, it's like, they're not even the players anymore. Has almost nothing to do with them. And it's a, it's a little, it's a little frustrating because I definitely felt uncomfortable by the end of the first episode because of this sort of, you just the you know things like the neglect and how um like they they say very early on there are more tigers in the u.s than there are in the wild and you're sort of just like man if this is not the the american indulgence i don't know what is like <laughs> you just these nah, you're right you're right yeah, yeah. Uh, and i know it's such a small percentile but for a show like this to have up until I think this week was the most viewed thing on Netflix. Now has been taken over by Money Heist. Now, uh, what that new show? Yeah, I'm I don't even sure. know what Money Heist is. It's like a, I think I'm not sure if it's like the Bandersnatch sort oh, of formula, maybe. but it might be. I have to double check it. I haven't gotten around to watching it, but I'm pretty sure it's overtaken Tiger King now. Jeez. Which sort of makes sense. It's a new thing. Everyone's in isolation, so obviously everyone's going to be watching their stuff. And I think Tiger King came out just before everyone went. It came out at a good time. It was for me. It was word of mouth. It was our friend Nina who got yeah. me to watch it, and that's how I saw it. And I was like, "Wow, oh, this is actually re- it is really good. It is a really good doco." Mm-hmm. I feel like I I think you're right in a lot of the all a lot of the the characters, quote unquote, are so well. It essentially might, by the end it becomes a lot of he said she said situations yeah. where really none of the quote characters they all have problems. They all have things that like either they're they're sexist or they're outright crooks that never acknowledge they're doing anything mm. wrong like that the dude who's uh, what's his name the one who takes over the park and financially aids oh jeff Je- oh my god jeff? and it's like yeah. every time someone else comes in they've all got something that just makes them <laughs> deplorable and i you- did i did finish wanting to see a lot of them in jail especially joe exotic yeah, I kind of like that he's in jail now. That they, sh- I don't think, and there's people like, oh, they should get him out. It's like when that thing came around. This was years ago. What was I thinking about it Trump was- saying that he was thinking about reconciling oh, him? Jesus, there was a, a police headshot of like this guy, and he, I don't, I didn't see it, but a, a lot of people found him handsome. And there was like petitions from a bunch of people being like, oh, free him because he's handsome. Like that's how stupid people can be sometimes. Mm, there's a guy so. called Ted Bundy. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't let Zoe Exotic, Joe Exotic Jesus out of jail. He's, just, he's happy in there. I think there's so many things, and it would have been an amazing experience to be the filmmakers behind this, to spend five years with these people. I would fear for my life at a certain point. Yeah. People were dying, getting their arms ripped off. Well, there's things like that, and there's things like... I think the only character that... 
who's not deplorable was actually the other filmmaker right and he's he's deplorable in a different (laughs) sense where he's just he's very real he's very much like i saw a bunch of nutcases i was gonna make a show about it i mean i'll do it i'd like that's like he was very much just being a filmmaker and he got punished for it because he had sounds like he's a self-proclaimed capitalist seek yeah I mean, like, well, he, like he said, he is a producer that was into the kind of crazier stuff, and the idea of these these zoos going to war with each other was very interesting television. Yeah. I feel bad that he lost all his footage, though. Yeah, and but we and, know, and, <laughs> and we it know comes back like. to yeah, it's, it's it, there's a lot of like, it's definitely an entertaining series. Like yeah. you, you will not be bored by it, and I would be very surprised if you were bored. If you by found it boring, absolutely. But I don't think it's thought-provoking or it has the same sort of like and it doesn't like not every doco has to be quote thought-provoking but then you take something like fire where it's like i technically didn't learn a lesson in it but i had my hand over my mouth like by the halfway point i was just like edging to i start when what became what started as a passive view became an on the edge of my seat as right. I slowly leaned forward to watch it more and more. I think unfold. the main difference between the two is fire. You're right. It's one. It's that specific day. There's always that thing you're looking forward to. And then the aftermath of that thing. And in Tiger King, there isn't really like a specific, it's like, and this is the day of the assassination attempt. Like there's yeah. nothing you're really, you don't know where it's going. And that can be good and bad for different reasons. Well, it comes back to like the sort of side tangents. I think this which are necessarily in a series, but you wouldn't put in a documentary. And I, I do, I, I don't know this personally, but it definitely, I imagine these filmmakers went in with the idea of having a feature documentary made out of this, but ended up so with much, yeah. so much content that they never thought that they had a series, but there's a lot of padding in there. Like when Joe's running for president, uh, for, for um, a seat in parliament right. and it does, it, it all contributes to essentially, well, it leads to his neglect and the money going in, which leads to his fallout with Jeff and all that other stuff. But at that point in the time, that's like episode four or five. You're, you're sort of like, okay. Um, like you said, the, the fact the animals take such a, a backseat mm. sort of feels like, uh, uh, appropriate in the sense that obviously it's kind of shows how much ego played into everyone that they forget about what they're actually doing this technique. Yeah, for. I think for that purpose it definitely works, but I, I know what you mean. It's it's upsetting in that yeah. way. Um, I It's one of those things, that, it's not rewatchable, I don't think. I don't know if I okay. can rewatch it. Yeah, I never thought to sit down and rewatch I watched the after show, they did like the eighth episode. Mm. John um, McHale hosted the, it. Yeah, with the interviews and stuff, and that was so fun. Such a but... strange person to host it. They were <laughs> like, also... John McHale from Community is hosting this. Well, he's a like, self-proclaimed no. capitalist because he put his hand up to do it. So there yeah, you go. It's true. <laughs> I'm just going to keep saying that. <laughs> well, now that Community's on Netflix, yeah, it feels like there almost Netflix is like, like, look, Community people. We had Alison Brie all this time. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't lose her. Yeah. But um, yeah, all right. Uh, I think... I know I said last week that I was going to talk a bit about in our career section the the feature script that I had written. Mm-hmm. I think we probably don't need to spend too much time on the non-film of the week discussion. <laughs> no. I think this might be our longest first half of a show ever. That's okay. So No, it's great. We've I got, mean, to we've be got, fair, I don't... Covered. Not to spoil, I don't have too much to say about Okay, okay, week. cool. So... Uh, we'll give it an appropriate... The appropriate time. Yes. But, um, yeah. So, I'll... 
Uh, sorry if you were looking forward to that, but next week I'm happy to talk more about the script. So no dramas. We'll get that. Cool. Well, it's time to move into our film of the week. But Jake, that's the one. Oh, and the first of our countdown through the decades. Yes, our 2020s film. What are we watching this week on the show? We're watching Onward. In times of old, the world was full of wonder and magic. But times change. Morning, Mom. Hey, birthday boy. By the laws of yore, I must dub thee a man today. Kneel before me. That's okay. I have a gift from your dad. He just said to give you this when you were both over 16. <gasps> no way! It's a wizard staff. Dad was a wizard. What? Your dad was an accountant. This spell brings him back. For one whole day, Dad will be back. What? Back? Like, back to life? That's not possible. It is with this. I'm gonna meet Dad. Oh, feet! It's getting harder to hold! Teenage elf brothers Ian and Barley embark on a magical quest to spend one more day with their late father. Like any good adventure, their journey is filled with cryptic maps, impossible obstacles, and unimaginable discoveries. It's a lot of words there, see? That is a lot of words. Well, this film was the latest Disney Pixar installment. That's it. And upon review, I said I only had one Disney Pixar film to watch. Uh, prior to this one, like uh-huh. outside. Yep. I think I have two. Okay. Well, have you to... haven't seen The Good Dinosaur yet. Yes, The Good Dinosaur is the one that I'm ugh, to seeing. Oh, okay, uh, I'm not to... looking forward to it. No, I mean, you haven't. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. Um, this is Pixar's 22nd feature, and I think I'm with you there. I think the only ones I haven't seen is Good Dinosaur and Brave. I think I've seen every other film they've done. I'm just having a quick look. I, I thought about this the other day, and I was like, oh, man, maybe... But this one, I did manage to catch. It's currently just been released on uh, Disney+. Plus. Disney Plus. So, um, yeah. Which is interesting, because obviously it didn't have a proper theatrical release here in Australia. Moana. That's not Disney. That's not Pixar. Oh, there we go. So <laughs> I have watched <laughs> all of them, but The Good Dinosaur. Beautiful. Maybe yes. we have to watch it together, The Good Dinosaur. That could be our 2010s. We're going to do a drink to cringe for it. We're going to be so bored. It's not going to be that bad. No, it'll just Come be boring, on. though. I think so. But um, it, it's funny because even though this didn't have a theatrical release over here, it did actually have a short film attached to it. This one? Yeah. So if you go on Disney+, Plus, there's a short film called Playdate with Destiny, which is meant to be the short that would usually be attached to the start of this film. And it's actually based on Maggie Simpson. So it's a Simpsons Intriguing. short. So I might have to watch it when I go home. Hmm, interesting. But, um. Yeah. This this film was uh good. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of the review. <laughs> no, um, honestly, it it's kind of tricky with Disney Pixar films because they honestly they range from uh mediocre to brilliant. Mm. I think's the good spectrum. I don't think there's any one single one. That's ma- terrible. Cast two. <laughs> Fair um, point. <laughs> cast cast two, but and uh, generally their sequels are met with mediocre to okay yeah if it's not toy story their sequels don't usually or prequels in this case yeah. uh, monsters university same director yeah I, I straight up think i think i haven't given a film from pixar anything less than i think two stars i might so i might have given some a, a fail but like they weren't a fail. there's never been ones where i'm like absolutely like nah like gotcha. i would never re-watch that film right like i think i could 
stomach any Pixar film you threw at me, even Cars 2. And I'd still be like, oh. <laughs> I want to rewatch that because even as a kid, I knew it wasn't good, but I want to rewatch Cars 2. Yeah. And I thought okay with Cars 3. I was fine with Cars yeah, 3. Yeah, the third one's great. Well, good. There was enough. There yeah. was enough in there. The, all three of those films are just, yeah. Which yep. sucks because, like, I know people will say, like, oh, the Cars franchise is inherently not a good. I'm like, why not? It's a good idea. What's wrong yeah. with Cars? Like, I don't see why it, they screw oh, up. Oh, and, so and a rat chef is a good idea. <laughs> yeah, Ratatouille is like one of the most beloved ones. Yes. Um, so, uh, I still stand by. I think Wally is my favorite Pixar film. Mm, okay. Uh, I don't. We've never done an official ranking on the show, and perhaps maybe after we, we do, might have in Toy Story actually. No, maybe we, we ranked... I think we said our favourite and least favourite Pixar films in our mm-hmm. Toy Story 4 episode. So perhaps when Soul comes out, mm. we might do an official That's listing. That's a good idea, yeah. Um, but uh, this one would definitely be in the upper half. It's mid-tier, I think. Yeah. It's a um, there's nothing inherently wrong with it. There's some funny lines. It's actually a, a pretty fun film, uh, I think. Chris Pratt and Tom Holland are a good pairing for each other. Mm. Um, MCU buddies. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of... I think Tom Holland's now permanently cast as the wheezy teenager guy. <laughs> um, you hear they moved the Uncharted movie forward? Apparently it's coming out in June next year now. Okay. I don't know how that... Ha- I don't know how that's possible, but... He's so not that guy. Uh, yeah. He's so not. It's not going to be a good Drake, I don't think. Like he's like, like even young Drake in the game. Pratt would have is, literally been the the better. In, it's funny because Pratt was asked to do it and he said no. Well, he's he got wouldn't. Jurassic World now, so he's got plenty of. That's true. Um, I would have said Pratt would have been a way better like choice. He's just that. He fits age, the bill really well. The age better. Yeah, and I know that Drake grows up with those movies, but uh, those games, mm. but uh, Holland just he has such a bait. Like I said, he's literally typecast as this awkward teenager now yeah um even in cartoons <laughs> even in cartoons um i like the premise for this film uh it's definitely got um it's not got the same sort of heartstring tugs as coco does okay yeah or up uh, or anything like that or up um obviously it tries it's a pixar film it's got uh, family-based themes mm-hmm. uh and it succeeds in those themes pretty well yeah. um i think it's pretty well paced yeah that's one thing i noticed so i watched this film a few weeks ago and then i yep. rewatched it on disney plus properly um in chunks to just to prepare for today's episode and the one thing i noticed real quick is the right the pacing is really good in this film mm-hmm. the amount of information that comes within five minute blocks is kind of shocking yeah like the especially montage- if you're saying it's coming from the guy who made monsters university which i think has a actual a big pacing problem right okay um, I could so. see that. That's the thing. Like the opening montage that sort of explains the history mm. of this magical world before it turns into a more contemporary setting is like two and a half minutes long, including opening like logos, mm-hmm. which is shocking. It's like I would not have guessed that's how short that is. So it's, good pacing. It's very quick and snappy in that way. It's really funny. This film's come to me at a really, uh, really strangely coincidental and beneficial time because. I've really been getting into watching a lot of Dungeons and Dragons sort of okay. playthroughs, particularly through uh, Rooster Teeth. Because, uh, lo- I mean, we've commented off the podcast, Jake, that this isolation has brought our inner teenagers out. And <laughs> when I was a teenager, I watched a lot of Rooster Teeth stuff, and they, they have a whole Dungeons and Dragons mm. uh, 
playthrough uh, set of podcasts. And so this film that was taking inspiration from the Dungeons and Dragons uh, universe, or at least the, the, the magical side of yeah. it, um, it, it's really uh, an interesting concept and really perfect for a Pixar film. It it, yeah, it definitely fits the bill in that sense where sort of the style... Because you always pick... Pixar used to be the company that would like that would animate the inanimate objects. Yes. You know, toys and... Well, not necessarily monsters, but you're in the... It's actually pretty close to Monsters, Inc. in that it's a world of animate creatures, humanistic in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember what the term is. Humanoid. Humanoid, thank you. But um, no, it's definitely a good Pixar sort of landscape, especially because they're trying to do that commentary of you know, the old and how people are sort of the lazy generations. Mm. And I think it's funny why you mentioned Wally earlier. That is one of my favorite Pixar films of all time. And I think this film just does a lesser job of the same themes as Wally. That's oh, my I mean, that was Wally my takeaway. More talked about the environment. It was too. more about environment, but in terms of humans adjusting to the easy way of doing things. There's a lot of that in this that's film fair. too. And I think Wally yeah. tackled it better. But yeah, yeah. No, that's definitely true. Um I think this, this yeah. I think you're you're pretty bang on with that sort of uh, idea, and I, I think that comes back to the effectiveness of storytelling in Wally. Uh, whereas this one is very uh, serviceable, you know. Mm. It, it um, like I said, I do like the dynamic between Holland and and Pratt. I think they have a really good chemistry, but it also means that there's a lot more talking, yeah, and less visual storytelling, and right. if anything. Um, that's one of the biggest weaknesses, essentially. A lot of this uh, film doesn't... Although has a stylistic universe, it doesn't do a lot with it, unlike things like Monsters University, Mm. which really does a lot with its universe, I think. Um, Especially Monsters in the original as well. Yeah, definitely the original um, over the university one. Um, It definitely feels like... I mean, essentially, a lot of this story takes place in either a van on a highway, <laughs> so the set pieces aren't nearly as as interesting, right? Um, as some of the other Pixar films, and I do think that takes away from the film. Okay, That's um, interesting. you know, you look at places like, uh, you know, you take something like Ratatouille, where the world feels really fleshed out, mm-hmm. and there's layers to the world, and and the visual storytelling even within a real world of Paris yep. um, is, you know, things like the, the critic from the top down shot has the shadow silhouette of a coffin. You know? <laughs> it's just clever, subversive storytelling rather yeah. than this just felt like it's a world of, of all of these magical creatures that are doing, like you said, they've taken the easy road and they're just doing normal human things. But it, you know, it, that that's fine because there was still a distinct difference in Monsters, Inc. between the monsters and their sort of human uh, characters. Rather, the traits. Yeah, exactly. They had some, but inherently they were monsters. Mm. Whereas, I think this this film doesn't... They're humans that are purple. Yeah. That's sort of what it feels like. Definitely, yeah. I think so. Yeah, I definitely get that. Because you're right, it's not a bad film by any stretch of the imagination. And one of my my main takeaways is that the script is just... In terms of the layout, the plans and the payoffs and all of that, like it's... You can't fault it. Like it all works. Mm -hmm. But you're right, that Pixar usually has this flavor that's something in Wally or Monsters, Inc. Or, you know, even Toy Story. There's there's something about those, those worlds that 
doesn't feel so unique in this film. Even mm-hmm. you're right, it's a perfect setting. This sort of mythical land, uh, recultured into the society we know with yeah. schools and uh, freeways and all of that stuff. And it's interesting, but again, it just it wasn't as interesting as when they did it before. Yeah, like even Co- you're right. Coco is another great example of like it's a world we've seen, but we haven't. And they, when they go into sort of the, the they land really of the explore dead. that world yeah. though yeah. like it, it feels fleshed out but it also it's explored like they go from skyscrapers to slumps in the land of the dead and and each has a meaning each helps reinforce the story but at the same time it also fleshes out the world mm. and it creates like subtle stakes whereas this at the end of the day the story is very simple in this mm. in this film and which is fine yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Kids going to watch it. Kids going to enjoy it. Kids going to get it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the thing with Pixar is, and this is, I, I know you're meant to take every single film as it's, as a single substance, but the fact of the matter is that it's very hard to watch this film and be like, well, um, cause Pixar has got to a point where it's set itself such a high bar that yeah. there's often layers in their in their stories, we know we know what they're capable of. There's something visually. for the adults as well as there's something for the kids. Mm. Whereas this film, I think everything's pretty surface level. You know, it's not like Ratatouille or, or Wally or Toy Story Three, where there's you know something for everyone. It very much feels like a film that you would take your kids to. Your kids would enjoy it. You you wouldn't have a bad time watching yeah, you'd it. Sit through it, but it's interesting because I remember this film being forgettable. Like, sort of just moving on from it. Yeah. When I went back to it today and I kind of seen, jumped a few things, and I was like, okay, I'm liking this. I'm liking this. Like, it's it's well made in terms of, like, maybe the way it's edited. I don't want to say direction because I think direction's a big part of why this doesn't feel like the fleshed-out world it needs to be. Mm-hmm. But... I think the big take it's it, like... tricky, yeah. Good, good lead cast, got great chemistry, good pacing, just lacks that extra oomph that certain like certain pixar titles which sets it apart from that top mm. tier like even like in terms of animation usually even as recently as coco i'll watch or toy story 4 especially i would mm. watch that and be like the animation's next level mm-hmm. like i remember me and jack when i mean the three of us watched toy story 4 but i remember leading to him being like in that first scene be like holy crap look at the water oh, look the at the water this. look at yeah. this um coco the way they do particle effects and everything that's happening in land like it's so and this film Nothing, and there's a lot of particle effects and a lot of cool spinny fireworks and stuff, but nothing spoke yeah, out I, to me in this I film. think because it's obviously taking so much from a fantasy uh, setting, uh, the problem is there's been a lot of fantasy reimagined stuff, so mm. it's very hard for us to watch this film and be like, Pixar's presenting us something new, unique. Whereas if you look at something like Coco, how many films do you know that mm. talk about like the, the the land of like the Day of the Dead has this mythical land that corresponds it, and um, I think that's what makes films like that so uh, wonderful to watch because they're showing us something we would have never seen before. But you know, there there've been a lot of D and D inspired fantasy esque titles out there. You yeah. know, you a watch any visual, fantasy, yeah, yeah, fantasy films that have mythical beasts. Um, you know, video games. There's so much culture around the fantasy genre so you've really got to do something to stand out mm, absolutely i think there was there was a funny um comment like a letterbox review like mm. a real brief one and it just says something like oh this is a great uh, dreamworks sequel but unfortunately it's a pixar original something like that 
Yeah. So I was like, yeah, I can see it. Like, you're right. The Pixar standard is just so high now mm-hmm. for films like this to be mid-tier. And again, it's not a bad th- film. And I think it's really interesting to talk about because because this film's a 2020 release. You look, mm. I do think that it felt like the animation was taking a step back from Toy Story 4 visually. Yeah. Um, and that might be the, the, the art style they wanted to go with this setting, but... And obviously trying to make... But I don't know. Yeah, I think with you, I think there were some... Although I had my problems with Toy Story 4, um, there's definitely... It's hard to dispute the visual appeal of that film. It's beautiful. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's good to look at. Yeah. <laughs> if not yeah. if not good to look at the story. Yes. Per se, all the characters Ugh. and what they did. You can listen to our Toy Story 4 podcast. Episode 23. This, episode 23, you're right. Bang on the money. <laughs> no worries. Um, well, I want to talk before we... I guess we can go into spoiler-ish territory yep. and just talk a bit about the the three main characters. You obviously have Ian, Barley, and I forget the dad's name, but he's it's sort of... It's a pair of legs. Yeah, it's a pair of legs, which I'll give him props because it's hard to animate the lower half of someone's body and make them a moat. Mm-hmm. So I'll give him that. That was a good challenge. Um, I don't know if I... <laughs> that was my thing, like... I knew that obviously after like the legs had been manifested, we all knew that this was going to eventually lead to a very small amount of time that the dad was yeah, going to be the there. The clock's always ticking, sort of thing. Um, and it does give stakes, but uh, I I don't know. It was it wasn't. Uh, it made sense. Like everything in it, I can't complain that it didn't make any sense in the in the sense of the story, but. And there were some funny little uh, gags as they put the body on, oh, on top yeah, of the, the legs. visual gags. Yeah, it's fun um, stuff. And it's like got the sort of weekend at Bernie's humor, right? Where it's <laughs> like it's and basically an animate body. And there's some really cool like uh, things they do with that. But I, I don't know. It, it wasn't. It almost. I would have almost would have just liked a Soul Brothers story. But I guess you needed right. that visual reminder that the dad was still with them. Well, I guess, I guess he was sort of the, um, I don't want to say motif, but, well, not really, but, you know, the, the idea that he was bringing the brothers close together without them realising, and that it really is demonstrated in Ian's little checkbook when he mm-hmm. starts to realise he has done all the things that he's trying to tick off, but with Barley, not so yeah. much his father. So I, I think it adds up in that regard. Like, the movie wouldn't make as much sense without the dad sort yeah, of plotline. Um, because it still is a brother's story. Yes. And that's how the brothers sort of come close. So when Ian realizes, oh, well, Barley's sort of be my surrogate dad in a way, for all that, the brother in him plays that role or fills that yeah, role exactly. in him sort of thing. So I think that all works. And I, I don't know if it's going to be your highlight scene or anything like that, but I want to talk a bit about the ending. I liked in terms of what ends up happening with the dad and who gets how much time with him and stuff. I actually, I liked a lot. Yeah, I was a big fan. Yeah. Big fan of how they shot that scene. That would definitely mm. be up there for my probably would be my highlight scene. Yeah, uh, how it's it's solely it's solely from uh, Ian's perspective. From Ian's yeah. perspective, and we already get to see what Ian's seeing, and I, I like that a lot because uh, that's that that's exactly what it captures in a snapshot about that. Yeah, so yeah, I was a big fan of that. How that whole. That whole fight scene and yeah. actually unfolded. I guess the, that sequence would be less freeway in terms of looking for somebody with a bit more spectacle. I mean, yeah. that ending would give you that a bit. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't ever really a clear-cut antagonist in this Right. Film. Just was... rock dragon. Yeah. <laughs> 
But I like what they did with the the face painted dragon, and they oh, like, yeah. made that the actual like dragon. That was clever. That was a clever That's little fun. visual gag, and sort of the mum character and her dynamic with the mana core is, oh, is yeah. very f- funny. She especially the mana core character is very entertaining. Oh, yeah. I think she's walking know. around is all big and stuff. But just sort of like when they go to the pawn shop, and then like she like lists off all the things in the pawn. Shop owner just like re- reiterates and is like, that'll yeah. actually be 10000 instead of $10. <laughs> Reminded me of the Francesca scene in Breaking Bad when she's the door, glass door breaks and she's like, now I'm thinking 25000 So, yeah. <laughs> so it, was, it was, yeah, I, I think that's the best takeaway she can take from this film. I think it, it doesn't hit that upper tier, but it's definitely not a, a swing and a miss. Yeah, it's it's, it's a like a sw- swing and sec- hitting second base. <laughs> like- you got there before I did. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, sweet. Well, I got a couple of fun facts before we jump into highlight scenes. Okay. Um, so I'm gonna have to use my computer for the. Well, actually, you know what? While I do this, I need to set up a web page to read something. I'm gonna pose you a question. Okay. In the meantime, so we've talked a bit about on the show the idea of having famous actors or famous celebrities doing voices in animated films. Yes. It be pretty, um, go back to our Robin Williams discussions with Aladdin. Mm-hmm. But I want to pose the question that, uh, is it too distracting sometimes? I mean, in this, you keep referring to them as Tom and Chris as opposed to their character names in this film. And even Pixar, day one, using um, you know Tom Hanks, Tim Allen and stuff for their leads. So would you say it's it's distracting to have these celebrities play your characters or...? What do you think? Um, I think you'll find that the Pixar films that people tend to like the most are generally populated by actors you don't know mm. their names, um, with the exception of obviously Toy Story, with obviously like you said, like Woody and uh, stuff, yeah, Woody and Buzz, you know, Tim Allen and and Tom Hanks. Uh, you know, if you take generally populous on a critical level, not a necessarily a popularity level, but films that are liked the most by uh, viewers are things like Up, Ratatouille, yeah. uh, Wally, And, I mean, I can't... I'm sure there's a relatively famous actor behind them, all of them voiced, but I can't name them off the top right, of my head. Right, the way they use their voice. You don't I, think of I them don't, as that person. I don't know who the voice actor for Up is, for the, the granddad yeah. or the kid. I feel I, like we're going to look these up and feel like idiots. <laughs> yeah, not. but like, like I know what you mean, though. Exactly. I think that they may actually be relatively obvious actors or B or A list actors, but I never felt like the. I mean, the up marketing campaign wasn't marketing a voice actor, right? Gotcha. Whereas I feel like Onwards definitely is, and um, you know, if you take like uh, a film like that, uh, I definitely don't those are the ones that are critically I, I perceived definitely as the better films and I can't name the voice actors behind them. So yeah, I think that there's definitely a correspondence there. I think there is distraction in it. Um, and uh, Pixar definitely went through a phase and they still do it every now and again where they cast uh, famous actors solely for the, the name and I definitely think maybe potentially Onwards is an example of, of two guys who are riding pretty high on the MCU train. Mm-hmm. So 
this was a good opportunity to give them a little bit of extra work, give them a Pixar credit and use that in the marketing. It, it does feel like the executives at Disney just walked down the hallway to yeah. see them both on the bloody green screen, green screen set. <laughs> Whereas if you, it's not all of them. I mean, like if you take something like uh, a more contemporary example, although I don't like Inside Out, the casting in Inside Out is really good. That's a good point. Um, yeah. And it's not a, a, for marketing purposes, they got the chick from Parks and Rec to do the voice of Joy. I mean, that's not really right, but a it's, marketing it's, it's tool. It's not the it's name more... on the front of the poster. No, right? no. She was just a really well-cast Joy. Um, and, you know, I think that that's the difference, you know. Um, I think there's a correspondence with the films that people like more don't have known names behind them. And I yeah. think, I although I like Tom Holland and Chris Pratt's chemistry, do I think two other people that were not in their thirties and, and mid twenties <laughs> should play 16 and 18 year olds? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I should. Because if you look at something like Coco, I, uh, they went with a very ethnically uh, diverse and mm, appropriate yeah. uh, casting and it reaps the rewards with an incredibly effective story. So they didn't go for, the one like they didn't go for like michael pina like <laughs> like it's like the one mexican guy or spanish guy they could oh. get no yeah. I, I feel you you know i was surprised that um oh my god uh i po- like michael pina too by the way it's just buddy i'm blanking his name poe dameron what's his name oscar isaac oscar, uh, oscar isaac jesus christ i'm surprised he wasn't in coco <laughs> you know what i mean mm. yeah it's in that <laughs> like sort of one. but um some of the could have just gone to the star wars hall yeah yeah I looked at um I just looked at up a couple of the casts from the, and I uh, these are some that I'm like oh yeah those are films I don't think of the actor in in this film. so for example mm. Monsters Inc I forget that it's John Goodman and Billy Crystal doing those voices yeah but that was back in a time where I felt like and when you think about and then the characters were on of, the poster. of of Sully and and Mike Wazowski because I also I when I watched Monsters University I'm like who are these voices I know these voices right. and when I saw it I went holy crap that makes so much sense now yeah. I mean, you th- you just think of John Goodman as a presence, and then you see him as Sully, and you're like, that makes so much sense. And he's kind of relaxed as Sully almost. In yeah, a lot of scenes, he's a bit. Mellow. He's not. He's not the John Goodman in Trumbo, <laughs> no. or, or in or in or any Co- uh, Cohen films. Yeah, any Cohen films. Um, yeah. And then you think of Billy Crystal, who you know, I know you haven't seen when Harry met Sally, not yet, but. No. You know, he's got that, he's that guy who talks and talks and talks and talks and doesn't shut up. And But he's also got the gift of the gab. And it's like, that makes so much sense to right, see those yeah. two um, voices, which is, so I, I felt like they weren't casting for the money names because I, I, I don't see a Pixar film kids going, oh my God, John Goodman's in it. <laughs> like, it's to bring the, I, I, I don't know if we've talked about the, um, the Robin Williams story on this podcast. I don't think we have in terms of how he was cast into Aladdin. and well, That led to a big dispute because yeah, he didn't want to be the poster boy. Yes. Um, he wanted to, cause he was developing Fern Gully at the time and right. he'd been working on Fern Gully longer than he'd been working on Aladdin. He didn't want to swallow uh, the project sort of and thing. And obviously he felt very strongly about Fern Gully's message, which uh, if you haven't seen Fern Gully, don't worry, just watch Avatar. Uh, <laughs> Uh, that's awesome and then you've got the same story but um and obviously he was like fern gully was made by a small way smaller animation studio and he didn't want disney 
uh, to squash the marketing of that mm. and ostracize it. And obviously Disney went back on their agreements. That led to a lot of bad Dicks. blood between uh, Robin and, and Disney. And he outwardly spoke about that. Um, but basically the whole thing was that his name wasn't supposed to be on the posters. He wasn't mm. meant to be used as a marketing tool. And of course, happy meal toys and all that stuff. Yeah. Cause he didn't like or believe into that sort of, that sort of shameless, uh, extortion of children um and uh, of course disney like there's obviously like that a lot of gray areas but it's probably fair to say that disney were the ones who overstepped their bounds because they're disney um and that led to that a lot of bad blood but he was the first before then if you go back and watch any animation films prior to uh, aladdin uh, most of the voice actors were max d dc list actors they right. weren't well ca- character actors or like they do voices that was yeah. their shit. they were cast solely just f- to play that that character because they mm. were because all the money went into the animation rather than the voice actors they were still good voice actors but they weren't big names because yeah. they didn't have to pay them a lot of money so um and it really shows like you go back and watch any any of those older animations and of course if you can get past all the cultural inappropriate stuff here and there <laughs> um it works really well yeah. i mean i grew up on a lot of those animations so and was like a lot of people did so it's it it shows um but yeah he was definitely the turning point um between he was the first big big marketing push they did before that they 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 dipped their toes here and there for the few years leading up to it. But after Beauty and the Beast was successful, Oscar wise, they then went, okay, the next couple are going to be big marketing with uh, bigger names, but it led to missteps and they started misstepping with things like Pocahontas because Mel Gibson was big at the time, mm. but they made him play a Aryan white male <laughs> in Pocahontas. And that was uh, that led to a lot of other, problems oh no disney's a fascinating conversation i could do a whole podcast on disney <laughs> but instead <laughs> i would just recommend listening to anything that Lindsay ellis puts out on youtube because she is like a disney essay nut okay that's interesting. but she's academic about it which is what makes it interesting not just one of those disney princess people that are like oh my god i love disney there's a girl on um which i'm sure jake knows one of them <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a girl on youtube i can't I, i'll look up her name and try and figure it figure it out for next week but she does amazing essays or video essays on uh, women who win Oscars and a lot of them to do with Harvey Weinstein and a lot of them to do Oh, you with... mean James Cameron's wife? <laughs> <laughs> That's horrible. Um, Catherine Bigelow. I'll better, figure I'll figure better. out who it is on YouTube. She does excellent essays, sort of feminist essays too with Oscars and stuff. But I'll figure that out. Fair yeah. enough. Well, do you want to move into highlight scenes? Uh, just about. I want to talk about a deleted scene. Okay. First off, that showed up. Um, of course, there's no DVD or anything out yet, but Wikipedia has a description for a deleted scene, which was interesting. I'll read it to you, Zeke. You tell me what you think about the scene that did not make it. Okay. There was a storyboard scene where Ian, Barley, and Wilden, so the pair of pants, are joined with a goat girl in the journey. Ian and the goat girl come across a booth hosted by three evil mermaids. The mermaids sing their mesmerizing song to lure the two into staying in one of three houses put for rent. Ian tries to silence them with his staff, but it's, the spell is too weak. When Ian and the goat girl are finally in a trance, the mermaids place them into one of the houses. The houses they're in starts to sink into the ground. The goat girl was omitted because the filmmakers wanted to focus on the relationship of the brothers, and the scene itself was removed because the filmmakers felt it was too grim. 
So it's, there's they no, get out of it, though. Yeah, there's no conclusion in here. Do they just die? I would assume, they get, I would assume they get out of it like any of the <laughs> obstacles. Um, yeah. That's I'm funny. good they omitted the, the goat girl. You don't want to overcloud the narrative. Yeah, Ian doesn't need a girlfriend. It's okay. No. <laughs> um, so good omission of character. We didn't need it. Um, like I said, this, this film doesn't have nearly as many extra layers to it, and that's not a necessarily a bad thing, but you don't also want to lose the simple narrative mm. you got. Keep it stupid. Oh, keep, keep it, it simple, simple, stupid. Kiss Jesus. principle. Um <laughs> The scene sounds fine. Scene sounds like just an extra scene, bit of yeah. Uh, but again, we you said about the pacing. I think it's in a good place, so I'm glad I got rid of it. Yeah, yeah. And plus, I would have liked would... there to be more dungeon crawling. I think. I don't okay. Know. I like the like... scene when they're in the boat, like towards the end, they're going through the thing. Yeah, no worries. So highlight scenes, right? Uh, my highlight scene. I know we talked about a bit this in a bit of a negative light, but mm-hmm. I actually it might actually be my highlight scene. Is the highlight uh, the highway chase with Ian Barley and then the fairies or the pixies chasing after? And the reason it's my highlight scene is because okay. it is sort of the perfect combination between sort of the medieval or classic fantasy sort of characters action scene melded into the contemporary idea of cars and driving. And I liked the idea of Ian having to merge to like avoid the obstacles, but it also is sort of forcing him to this. Thing where he yeah. has to progress, and I was like, you know what? I actually really like that a lot. So I gave him a highlight scene. Mm. I was like, yeah, fair enough. It was a little. It was a little like uh, the cops seem to be in every place that they like. They they seem to be a little right. plot convenient sometimes. And I'm thinking that it's like, well, with all these modern progressions of the world, because it's, I mean, if anything, the the, the conclusion shows how it's not necessarily about leaving, like going living completely in the past but also embracing the future mm. is sort of the 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 mixed hybrid ending how the manacore is like got this tavern but it's still the modern world you know there's yeah. a good contemporary mesh between past and present or well, uh, there's an embracing of the past yeah and I know. the difficulties of that yeah and you know maybe to add extra pressure having like i guess the police weren't chasing them at that point but Maybe you could have led that into uh, having the stepdad character come in, maybe in that scene. Maybe he's the okay. maybe he's the sole cop chasing down the, the the kids and the bikers, and you could still have that scene. But then there's a little little bit more. I want to say realism in my fantasy animation <laughs> film, but I don't know. It just felt like it was the one thing where I was like, okay, well, the police seem to come up every time that there's a lull, except for the fact when these bikers are literally trying to commit homicide. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I feel that. Yeah, you know, it's, I didn't, I didn't mind it. Fair enough. Um, my highlight scene would probably be. I think we've touched on it. I, I really do like the the barley that they're riding the the Cheeto boat. And they, yeah, they yeah. have that real, the leveling sort of scene. I think it's a really good scene. Um, the, uh, some really good uh, voice work between Holland and Barley in that scene. And I really mm. like that scene. And it sets Holland up Holland and Barley. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's great. I love it. That's it. That proves the problem. That's the whole point exactly. of that conversation. Ian and Barley. But yes, um, I really like that scene. Um, I would definitely say that's probably my highlight. That mm. and... Um, I love the bridge scene the, too. The van's death. 
Ah, oh, yeah, that's funny. and how it pops the tire and it starts to gallop like a. That's a clever. That's was a, a clever. Line. That was an example of clever like visual storytelling, and there was yeah. not enough of that sometimes. Absolutely, like. yeah. Like to sort of really hybrid the world. Like it would have been nice that over the course of the night, maybe their costumes became more medieval. Ah, uh, yeah, like they tethered it, and then they find like stuff in his van that's like oh yeah medieval sort of yeah because he has that we've seen him wear that stuff exactly yeah. so maybe just maybe because of the fire at the manacore's tavern they have to redress up and it feels stupid at first cool. but then they start to embrace it but i really like that idea actually there you go you should work you. at pixar yeah. <laughs> well, I could take any job right now. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's economy. No worries. Well, Onwards is currently out on the streaming platform Disney Plus. So Disney go Plus. There you go. Go check it out. Or if you're a fool, you can rent it, purchase it digital. Nah, well, not everyone has Disney Plus. So that's fair enough. Yeah, that's true. But no, there you go. No worries. Well, Jake, I was gonna, I was gonna immediately stream <laughs> into what's new in cinemas this week, but you know, it still has it on my document. What next week in cinemas? I really need to change the title. But of course, we've <laughs> we have rehybrided this to be what's new what's on streaming. New on streaming, yeah. Well, on Disney Plus, there actually is nothing this week. So okay, have fun with that, everyone. Uh, on stand, so there's new episodes of certain shows like Deuces and Miro, The Last OG, and the season one finale to Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. So uh, if you watch any of those, there you go, new episodes for those. Uh, and some films are finally coming to stand, including A Violent Life, Leverfron, uh, Jesus, Leveron. I don't know, I can't speak. Okay. Uh, Calamie, which I think is like a 2019 remake of a 30s film or something. And this is one I'm really looking forward to because I've never seen it, The Virgin Suicides. Oh, stand. so that's the first Sofia Coppola mm, film. So I'm excited about that one. Uh, and Netflix, a, a bunch of shows are coming out. So the first season for like six shows are coming out, including Never Have I Ever, Extracurricular, Summertime, Biohackers, and The Victim's Game. So season one of all of those shows comes out. Uh, some new exclusive Netflix films include Murder to Mercy, the uh, Sintonia Brown story, Dangerous Lies, and Rich in Love. And some older classics are coming this week, including Clash of the Titans from 1981, uh, Spielberg's The Color Purple, and, more, and a more recent film, The Edge of Seventeen. So this is all coming to Australia, Netflix slash Stan. Interesting. So, Interesting. And that's what's new in streaming this week. No worries. Well, none of those <laughs> are what we're watching next week on the show, but we do have our latest installment in our countdown through the decades. Right. 2010s. The 2010s. And as voted, as we, we were talking about, there was a vote that occurred mm. over a two-day period. That you guys voted. And I do have the numbers here. I have, to... I have the numbers too. Thank God, Jake. You want to give I'm us the numbers? I'm on top of it. <laughs> you want to so, give us the numbers? For the 2010s, between me and Zeke, we each picked one of these films, and you guys voted on our Instagram, so go to Zeke HM. Uh, Zeke MH. Sorry, Zeke MH, or Jake the Clicker, either Instagram account. At the end of each week, we'll put out the polls. You vote for which film out of On the Friday and the Saturday, That's Australian funny. time. There you go. For this last week, we've uh, voted for the films Ex Machina and Under the Skin. 2013 versus 2014. Yeah, very, very close together. And the vote between both of our accounts was 27 to 19 against Ex Machina. So that means, everyone, next week we are watching Under the Skin. So you live alone? Yes. 
Disguising itself as a human female, an extraterrestrial drives around Scotland, attempting to lure unsuspecting men into her van. Oh, and once there, she seduces and sends them into another dimension where they are nothing more than meat. This film was directed by Jonathan Glazer. Oh, so this is a film that I've owned on Blu-ray for maybe a year now. I think Jesse, friend of the show, Jesse Newell, uh, was with me when I bought it on Blu-ray, and I still haven't watched it. I haven't watched either of the films that were up for vote. So, mm. and have have you seen? You've seen Ex Machina, right? I have. I saw Ex Machina earlier this year for the ah, first time. Very nice, very nice. So I was kind of happy that uh, Under the Skin won. Because I was surprised because I didn't know people knew what that film was. No, maybe that's perhaps easy. why people want to watch it more. Maybe. Uh, Got to give our audience some credit there. Yeah, picking for the one that they don't know about. Oh, I've definitely like. Obviously, like we said at the start of the show, we, we do know each other's 10. Obviously, uh, we might change them by the time the polls are all around, but we Possibly. are aware of, of what we might be doing. Um, and we have taken into account director's quarters. This is not a director's quarter, which is just as well, because uh, this gentleman doesn't look like he's done that much, but right. very interesting to see what he's done with this uh, this film, Scarlett Johansson, yeah. who always gets generally positive praise on this podcast. So Further, this is a unique one terms of her performance okay so it's that'll be very good. interesting to see what she gets up to in this film <laughs> well we the log line tells us a little bit of what she gets up to exactly <laughs> no worries well thank you for joining us for the cinema side show podcast i was zeke i was jay and we'll catch you next week with under the skin <laughs>